Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. We're going to talk about like the law of God. Before we get to his law, let me ask you a question, and I'd love some participation in this, so you can call out your answer. And if your answer is too controversial, that's okay. I'm giving you an opportunity to speak for a moment. But why do you think, that's an opinion question, why do you think the law exists? Show us Jesus. Safety. What else? Like the law, like, okay, let's make it more, more personal here, ready? Or more contextual. Why do you think traffic laws exist? Safety. What was it? Obedience. Yep, something to obey. Capital. The first service had revenue, my brother. So, you know, it's just, I was going to say, someone's got to bring that out here, right? I mean, I'm, I'm waiting this Tuesday. I will know if I did or not get hit by a camera. I said, it's, they got a 10-day waiting period, so I'm just checking the mail every day. Uh, right? We, we, let, me, let me give you my opinion, okay? Because I asked this as an opinion question. So here's what I wrote down. Uh, I believe that the laws exist to make us feel good about ourselves when we keep them and enable us to judge others when they break them. <laughs> Just a little thought. And, and don't look at me with your judgment eyes. You've done this too. Hold on, let me bring you into this. There are times where I am on the road, let's talk traffic laws for a minute, and someone will cut me off and I immediately go down into my Pentecostal roots in my prayers. Because I pray something like this, thus saith the Lord, vengeance is mine. <laughs> God, you have decreed that you will make every wrong right. And right now, by your omnipotent power, would you send a police officer? As they go speeding by, may he be hidden in the bush. And may that bush go on fire like Moses saw. And may you come, so I just start going in right there. Like just, just get him. And the whole time I was speeding too, he just happened to be going a little faster than me. Come on, we, we tend to use the law as a means by which we will judge others and validate our own perfections, but miss our imperfections when we actually look at the law. Here's another example, and you're not as, as depraved as I am, so this is just my example. I, I sometimes will be in a supermarket, and I'll be on the express lane, it says 10 items or less, and there's someone in front of me, and I immediately become the best mathematician you've ever met. <laughs> I mean, I don't really have to count the cart, but I'll do it because I'm gracious. Let me just make sure. 12 items, ma'am. Really, 12, 12 items on an express lane. And I will silently pass judgment with my eyes of how could you dare? Do you not see what the law says? This is 10 items or less. And if I'm really feeling like they just need a little Holy Ghost conviction and I'm the mouthpiece in that moment, I might say something like, is this the express lane? Is it, excuse me, I just wanna know, am I on the right lane? Or come on, you, you and I, we, we, are so quick to judge others with a standard. And today, what we want to talk about is what's God's standard for our lives? What is the purpose, not of the traffic laws, the laws of our country, but really what is the purpose of God's law in our lives today? Meaning this side of what Jesus has done on the cross. So some things you should know about your Bible, and if you don't own a Bible, please, before you leave, stop by our welcome home area so we can gift you a Bible. But the Bible is broken up into two major parts called the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament, the first, really not half, because it's 39 out of 66 of the books that are there, 
primarily deal with a, a specific people group, the Jewish people that God made a promise to, and he is showing them how he's going to bless the entire world through this nation. And in those pages, we find the law that he gave to the Jewish people through Moses after he redeemed them, set them free from Egypt. And there are not just 10 commandments, although that's what you and I tend to know. There are over 600 commandments that God gave the Jewish people. And I think it's funny because that wasn't enough for some of the Jewish people, and they actually added more to those commands. So their whole way of living and relating, don't miss this, to the God of, of humanity, Jehovah, Yahweh, they understood it through this law that they were given. It's what set them apart from other nations. It's how they managed their relationships. We've talked about it, their, their dietary restrictions. All their practices were found there, their worship to God. And that's great, but our question today is, does that matter for us? Like, how, how then do we apply that in our lives? Do we, or do we just say, well, the first half of the Bible has been dealt with, it's over, let's just live in this part and not read that, that, asp that part of the Bible. So we're gonna go there this morning by looking at Paul's writing to the Galatian believers. So as I said, this was written to non-Jewish Christians who were being told what Jesus did was good, but it wasn't good enough. You need to keep the Jewish commandments. They were getting pressure from this group of people called the Judaizers, the Judaizers. And they were saying, you need, to, you need to become Jewish basically to be accepted by God, to be loved by God and be saved. And Paul hears about this and Paul like loses his mind a little bit. Rightfully so. We read in his first part of his letter, he's saying, when you change the gospel, you actually nullify the gospel. It's no longer the gospel if you change it. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. It is only the perfect work of Jesus because of, and that's why we're calling this series Grace on Repeat, because of the grace of God. It's his grace for us that saves us. Jesus does the work. And as we're gonna see, our, our response to the work of Jesus is not law-keeping, it's something else. But we are then left with the question, why the law and what's the point? So let's get right into it because I think Paul is very bold in his opening line that we'll read today, Galatians 3.1. He says, you foolish Galatians. How many wanna get an email that starts off with that? <laughs> you foolish Galatians. Who has, and notice the word he uses here, bewitched you. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. So he goes right in. He says, listen, you're, remember their problem is they're being told and they're embracing this no gospel, this I need to work to be saved. And he says, you're foolish for this. And he, and he uses a word we, we need to see. He says, who's bewitched you? And I believe the strength of his word is because we have to understand Paul is not saying it's a mistake. He's not saying it's no big deal if you embrace this. I mean, we, we have the same mindset today that was plaguing people from the dawn of time, really. Oh, well, all, all paths are equal. All roads lead to God. Any way can get there. It can't just be one. That's, that's closed-minded. That's old-fashioned. And Paul goes, no, when you embrace that, it's not just you're being tolerant, you're being progressive, you're being open-minded, you're making a mistake, it's just an error. He says, it's as if you are committing an evil spell. It's a little strong. He's saying, it's as if you're under a spell here because, he says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. 
Now that's unique and hopeful for us today because these believers that he writes to were not at the crucifixion of Jesus. So how can he say like, it was clearly portrayed to you? Watch this, this is hope for us. Paul's gospel presentation, his declaration and proclamation of the gospel was so clear that it was as if they saw Christ crucified. Doesn't that give you hope today? Come on, how many of you have said, man, I would believe in Jesus if you would just walk in this room right now, maybe flicker the lights, do something weird? No, no. You don't need that to believe in Jesus. You need a clear gospel presentation. Your heart soft and receptive to the power of God that is found in his word made alive by his spirit. Like that's hopeful for us today. If you're holding out that God will just do something that that honestly sounds way more mystical and new age than Bible, you got to understand for these Galatian believers, Paul's going, I clearly portrayed to you the gospel. How are you living as if you're under a spell right now? You know the gospel. I told you the gospel. And he goes on and says, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Oh, another promise of God in this verse. Do you understand that when you put your faith in Jesus and you were saved, you were made new, the very spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. That's a a promise I need to stand on. That it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And Paul goes, you started your new life in the spirit. And now these Judaizers are showing up and they are proclaiming to you no gospel at all. And you know what's happening? Judaizers are saying salvation isn't really received, it's achieved. You've got to try to become perfect. You've got to try to be saved in your own human effort. So the gospel, we've said it multiple times this morning, and if you're unfamiliar with what that means, the gospel is the good news that God has sent his son Jesus to this world to live the perfect life you and I were supposed to live but didn't, die the sinner's death we should die, but he dies in our place, and that he resurrects so that resurrection power is now available to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. That is the good news. And oftentimes I've seen that the gospel is treated as the ABCs of Christianity, meaning it's the starting point. But now that I understand the gospel, pastor, can you really get to like Habakkuk or, or, or something deeper? Can you like move past this? In fact, in the tradition I grew up in, we literally use the ABC like acronym for the gospel. A, acknowledge Jesus. B, believe in your heart. C, confess your sins. Got it? Cool. Now we're going to talk about eschatology, little Keith. Are you ready for the rapture? (laughs) We're leaving the gospel behind now? I mean, I got it. And I would suggest to you that what we see in Paul's letter and throughout scripture and why we call it grace on repeat is because the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel carries out throughout our Christian life that when we are walking in the spirit, it is the gospel message that keeps reorienting us towards Jesus. Like, okay, I want, how does, how does Jesus fulfill this? Who am I in Christ now? How can I live out the life that he's called me to live? I need the gospel grace on repeat. But these people were being challenged with, no, you need more laws. You need law keeping. You need to keep the code. So Paul brilliantly, once again, is going to write something to challenge the Jewish believers in their thinking that the law is what saves by going way back to the founder, if we could say that, of the Jewish faith. 
Does anyone know who, who would be the patriarch that, that Judaism would point to? In fact, Christianity points to, and Islam also includes this individual. Anyone want to throw a name out there? Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you. Anyone? You don't know. It's like, what's wrong with this guy? Is he having like, what's happening? It's Sunday school. Okay, thank you. It's a little Sunday school. We could always start doing a song of Blaze Kids, maybe. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Father Abraham, right? Like this is, now here's all, there's so much to appreciate about the life of Abraham. If we can appreciate one thing, Abraham was no more deserving of the grace of God than his brothers. Abraham was not called because he was great. He was called because God is great. He was graciously called by God to be the father of the Jewish people. God makes a promise with him. The word is covenant and says, through your offspring, I will bless the world. The problem is his wife Sarai is unable to have an offspring and Abraham is advanced in years. That's the Bible polite way to say he old and he's advanced in years and he can't have kids. But God says, I'm making a promise to you. And when a promise comes, Abraham and you and I have two choices, believe it and receive it or reject it and doubt it. What is Abraham to do? This is kind of an outlandish promise. I'm going to, he tells him, count the stars. You're going to have more kids than all the stars. Go to the beach, more kids than all the sand. What is Abraham to do? Well, Paul knows, and every Jewish believer would have known. So Paul starts writing to them now in his letter. And he says, so also, verse six, so also Abraham, what's the word? Say it, believed. Notice the text rightly translated, believed God, not believed in God. There is no Greek preposition that's used in the Greek translation here. It's simply believed God. Why is that important? Well, a New Testament author says to some people who are saying we're Christians because we believe in God. He says to them, that's cute that you believe in God. The demons do that too, and they shudder. In other words, you, maybe this is a part of your story. Maybe it's your story today. It's not enough to simply say, oh yeah, I believe in God. I believe in God. No, do you believe God? Meaning, do you take his word to heart and apply it? Do you believe the promise that God has given? The gospel, not I just believe in God. You poll some people, you'll probably find a lot of your friends will say, I believe in God. But when you see the fruit, Jesus says, of their life, are they living as if they believe God? So Abraham did, and his believing God was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, what is most important about Father Abraham is that he was a man of faith. What's most important is that Abraham believed God. And when the Bible tells us that God credits to him as righteousness, here's what that means. God applies righteousness to Abraham's account, not because Abraham was worthy of it, but because he believed the promise because he received and believed what God said to him. This pushes against every religious system that you will find in this world. Everyone. Doesn't matter if you change the skin of it, if the God of that religious system is, is a certain God or a certain place, a certain enlightenment, nirvana. When you boil down religious systems, you will find the teaching is, if you are righteous, the God or the place is yours. If you are unrighteous, you are alienated from the outcome, the God or the place, nirvana, enlightenment. The gospel and Christianity 
And the message of Jesus says, you can never be righteous enough to get to the God. So the God himself came to be with you. He came to pay the price for you. Your law keeping does not end in salvation. You can't be good enough. So God in his grace says, I will come and live the life you were supposed to live and die the death you should have died so that you might be saved. Credited righteousness. I hope that stirs your faith a little bit, gets you a little excited. I think some of you would be more excited if you found $1,000 in your bank account today than what I'm sharing. Come on, think about this. Can I push a little bit? God says, I'm giving you righteousness when you don't deserve it through the work of Jesus. I'm saying you can't work for it, but you wake up and it's in your account. How to get there? I believe God. I accepted Jesus as my savior. So this is flying in the face of what the Judaizers are saying. Because remember, the tension is, God's not enough. You've got to keep the law. And Paul makes one more revolutionary statement. And I think this is where he would drop the mic if he had one. He says, the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. Does that not tear down any ethnic barrier, any religious barrier? In fact, we're not going to read it, but in your small group, you'll talk of this verse. It is at the end of chapter three, where Paul says, therefore in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. Not pushing against what we discovered last week of diversity without division, but equaling the playing field to say, we all of us need the grace of God. We are saved by faith in Jesus. So I encourage you to write this down or use that part of your brain that never forgets anything. Salvation is the promise believed, not performance achieved. Salvation is promise believed, not performance achieved. And here's why. If you use the law as your means of salvation, now what would that mean for us today? Because maybe you're not pulling out the Old Testament law and you're saying, well, I keep this one, I keep that one, and so God should accept me. If you use a law as a standard to say, God, here's why I'm so good and you should receive me. You are, what we will see Paul say, under a curse. We'll explain that. But here's what he says to those who are using God's law given to the Jewish people as their means of salvation. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So you probably have some laws that you're good at. Maybe have some ones that you struggle with. Paul says, here's the problem with keeping the law. The problem with keeping the law is keeping the law. That's the problem. There's more than 600 commands to keep. And he says, if you don't continue to do everything written in the book of the law, you are under a curse. We'll talk about that word in a moment. He goes on and says, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified. That was a word we discovered last week. Justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Justified means what's true of Jesus becomes true of us. That God declares us as righteous in his sight. 
So Paul says, your justification cannot come by relying on the law. Why? Because of what he just said. If you try to rely on the law and you miss just even one, you're under a curse. You can't be justified. Righteousness comes by faith. So we're kind of on the edge of our seat, maybe in some way saying, well, what is the purpose of the law then? We started with this question, does it have relevancy for us today? Before we discover what the purpose is, let's establish what the purpose is not. The law's purpose is not salvation. It's not salvation. Now, you can use it as a means of salvation because you have free will like I do. Just know you cannot be saved by law keeping. You will fall short. You pull out the standard, and even if you want to accuse the person that has 12 items on the express lane and say, I'm better than them, or the person that breaks the traffic violation when you happen to be keeping it on one random day because you're just enjoying your music, you're like, I could do 55 today. That's fine. You and I fall short of God's glorious standard. And if law keeping is our means of salvation, we are under a curse. So performance, law keeping, and promise, the covenant of God, when it comes to salvation, are mutually exclusive. In other words, they can't be intertwined as a way to salvation. It is an either or as a path to salvation. It's either performance or it's the promise of God. Let me give you an example from my son. My son's nine years old. Tomorrow, if I say to him, Nate, when you get home from school, we're gonna go to the park. We're gonna throw the ball, gonna have some fun, maybe get some ice cream because life is way better with ice cream. If I say that to him, when he gets home from school, we're going to the park. Doesn't matter the kind of day he had. There was a promise made. If I say, Nate, tomorrow when you wake up, if you honor your teachers, honor your sister, get home, do your homework, make sure everything's clean, then we'll go to the park. The park is no longer a promise. It is a reward based on performance. It's not the same thing. It's either this is a promise based on my word to you, or it's an outcome based on your performance for me. Now, that was not a parenting strategy talk, so don't send me emails about how you, Pastor Keith, you really shouldn't make promises. What if it rains? I get that, okay? It's an analogy. Promise, performance, either or. It is good news that your salvation is a promise made by God, isn't it? Come on, it is real good news that your salvation was secured for you by Jesus and is a gift for you and I to receive. Because if we're left with the law, we are under a curse. Now that word curse literally means a penalty condemnation from God. So God is holy. God is just. God is loving. He is all of that. And in his holiness and justice, the law is the standard. And when you and I attempt to use the standard to meet a holy God, we stand condemned. We are under a curse. So without one who might rescue us from the law that God has given us, we remain under a curse. Here's the good news of the gospel. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The words that Paul quotes are words that were written long before crucifixion even entered the minds of humanity. Isn't that amazing that God writes in such a way? 
to say under the law, he says, you know, there's a curse that comes for those who are hanged on a tree. And it was Jesus Christ who redeems us from the curse of the law. How? Not by doing away with the law, not by changing the rules, not by saying, you know what, we're just going to change the terms of this agreement now. We're going to nullify the covenant that was made to Abraham. No, Jesus literally takes our place by becoming a curse for us. That is why we sing, what else can I do but give you a hallelujah? What else do I have but to say thank you, God? That Jesus, you took the condemnation that I deserve. We've learned of atonement, that he pays the price. Justification, his righteousness is ours. And now the word redemption, which means to secure the release of by payment. Your release came at the price of Jesus taking your place and becoming a curse for you. So faith is the means by which we're saved. Have you believed in your heart that God sent his son to this world to save you? Well, we're still left with the question and Paul's still asking it. He says in verse 19, why then was the law given? And I'm thankful that Paul didn't stop writing there, but that he gives us the answer in the next sentence. Here's why. It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. So for a timeline, God in his grace makes a promise to Abraham. Now we are the children of Abraham through faith. But 430 years later, after the covenant, God gives the law to the people. And the law came alongside the people. Notice, not to show them salvation, but to show them sin. The law's purpose is not to show you how to be saved. The law's purpose is to show you, you need to be saved. Like you open the law and even if you're doing good on your best day, you're still falling short. And when a Jewish person would come to the law and no, I can't keep this. God gives them in his grace, the festivals, the tabernacle, the day of atonement, all the rules surrounding it, not to save them, but to show them you need a Messiah. You need a rescuer. You need a savior. And Jesus shows up and says, I am he. I have fulfilled it. So what do we do then now today? Well, Paul gives us an analogy to understand. He says the law was like those Greek tutors with which you're familiar. We may not be, but we could probably understand having a tutor in our lives, having a parent or a teacher, someone who is training us. In this time, a Greek tutor who would escort children to school and protect them from danger or distraction, making sure the children will really get to the place they set out for. In other words, the law becomes that guardian, that teacher to say, the place you really need to get to is freedom in Jesus. Like you need, you need to get to Christ. We heard the response this morning. What's the law's purpose to show us Jesus? Absolutely. Because by showing us our sin, it shows us we need a savior. We need a rescuer. In fact, John Stott says this in the message of Galatians. It is only against the inky blackness of the night sky that the stars begin to appear and it is only against the dark background of sin and judgment that the gospel shines forth. Yeah. You won't see how good the good news is unless you understand how bad the bad news is. And the law does its work to show you how bad the bad news is. So they have these Greek tutors. Now, think in our own terms, and for me as I parent, 
Is my goal in parenting simply to instill in my children biblical values and point them to Jesus for a time? And then in hopes that when they become an adult, they could say, I am so glad that that is done with and I'm out of his house. Man, now I'm gonna live exactly how I want. Life is gonna be so much better. That's not my purpose as a parent. It's not the purpose of the Greek tutor but rather to instill values in someone when they don't have the freedom to make choices so that when they do get the freedom to make choices, they live out those healthy values, boundaries. And I know it's hard, especially if you're a student in this place saying, but I don't fully understand the values and boundaries. That's why God's put in your life a godly parent who says, I've been where you've been and just trust me on this. There'll be a day where you get to live out the freedom. The, The purpose of the law wasn't so that we could cast it aside now and say, well, it's served its purpose, it's done with. Paul says this in the next verse, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. But the word under means under the authority of. Meaning, because we are free in Jesus, the law no longer dictates our identity or our condemnation, but rather now Jesus is Lord and Lord of all. He's the guardian. He's the dictator. He's the one who is the one over our lives dictating, this is now the way to live. I'm your Lord. I'm your Savior. Follow me. So when Jesus says this, this is why now we can honor and obey. If you love me, keep my commands. Not if you love me, you don't have to worry about it. It's not a big deal. I mean, you're saved after all. Live how you want. No, if you love me, keep my commands. I I would suggest to you this morning this, we are not free from keeping the law, but rather we are free to keep the law. We're actually free to live it out. So when Jesus takes the entire Old Testament law and says, you want to know how we summarize 600 commandments? You want to know how we can take, don't steal, don't kill, don't covet. You want to, you know what I could do? How about this? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all the commands hang on this. And then Paul we're going to see this in a few weeks, actually gives us what he calls the law of Christ, which is simply love your neighbor as yourself. He reduces the 600 that went to the two to one by saying, you can't even love your neighbor as yourself if you don't first love God. And you won't love God unless you know you're loved by God. So your law keeping flows from a place of knowing you're saved. What good news. So this week, as you maybe read the law, as you discuss this in small group, you know the law doesn't save me, Jesus does. And now that I'm saved, I don't live however I want. I honor the Lord. I keep his commands. Here's three that could be challenging for us. The command to be content. That pushes right up against commandment number 10, do not covet what your neighbor has. How can I live out of a place of contentment? Well, let's go back to the gospel. I have been given everything that I need in the perfect work of Jesus. And because he's my provider and the one who knows me and sees me, I don't have to covet what they have. I don't need to chase their calling. I don't need any of that. I can rest in who I am. What about the law that says to forgive others? Well, how can I do that? Well, I start with the place that I've been forgiven. I'm not under a curse that God didn't hold me accountable for my sin, but I've been forgiven by Jesus. And so now I can live out that command and extend forgiveness. Generosity, the command is clear. Each one of you must decide in your heart what to give. How can I do that? 
Well, I start with knowing it was God's generosity towards me that saved me. And now everything I have is his. And that's why in two weeks, we are going to give extravagantly towards seeing the gospel advance in Uruguay. It starts with the gospel. You are saved by Jesus. And I wanna pray this morning now and give you an opportunity to accept Jesus as your savior because I believe you are clearly seeing the gospel today. The gospel that declares apart from the saving work of Jesus, you are lost in your sin. But if we confess with our mouth, we declare it, believe in our heart, God raised Christ from the dead, you are saved. So right now I wanna ask you, have you declared? Have you believed? Have you put your faith in him? Scripture says all who call on his name will be saved. So in this moment, we're gonna have an opportunity to respond, to call on his name. We're gonna pray as a church because you may not have the words to say. So we wanna provide a pathway, but it's really what you're expressing to the Lord. And we are going to respond in prayer. And if you wanna know Jesus today, I want you to be bold in this moment and raise your hand, not for me or the person around you, but for you to have a moment of declaration to say, God, I want to know your son. So if you wanna be saved this morning, know your sins are forgiven, you are made new. Lift your hand in this moment as we pray together. Church family, let's say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died and rose again so I could be forgiven. I thank you for new life. Today, I surrender mine. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Church family, can we celebrate with the angels who are rejoicing?